Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and as always, by Jason Neil Patrick Harris, Johnston Yellen in the hizzy. Woo! <laughs> that is such a beautiful rhythmic pattern to it. I really, I really like it. Jason Neil Patrick Harris, Johnston Yellen. Boom, boom, boom. I feel like I'm just ticking boxes. Too. Right? Isn't that lovely? I got the Neil. I got the Patrick. I got the Harris. I got the Johnston. I got the Yellen. And we've got the name. (laughs) Jesus, so how many names is that? One. So again, we're back to the Foster paradox, right? So now it's Jason, Neil, Patrick, Harris, Johnston, Yellen. So Jason, six names, but then Jason, six names becomes a seventh name. So we're in the Foster paradox. Yeah, I I had such a difficult time with that way back then. I really wish you didn't bring it up. (laughs) Because <laughs> that was just going to hurt like my seeing, brain all over again. <laughs> I just like watching you squirm every time we return to the Foster Paradox. <laughs> <laughs> the Foster Paradox. I absolutely love it. So, yeah. We have to give him congratulations. Do we? He, yeah, he submitted some fictional work to a writing competition and won. I thought you were going to say he submitted some fictional work and they didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which actually is close to a John Irving quote. Uh, it? John Irving, who, who you'll know from The World According to Garth and oh, yeah. Cider House Rules mm-hmm. and you know, Prayer for Own Meaning and so on and so forth, uh, once said, you have to be careful with fiction. It has to be believable. Yeah, and so if you, if you have an, a dinner where your grandfather leaves the table and goes outside and pisses against the passenger door of your car mm-hmm. and you write up that story, folk will go, nah, no, don't believe that. So there you go. You must remain cautious, even with fiction. Amazing. Amazing. Well, congrats to Mr. James Foster. So so you got approved or are, are they going to... Are we looking at a New York Times bestseller coming out at some point? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oof. Someday. He, he as, as part, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this on the podcast. I'm just so proud of him. Um, but but yet he plot? will. His, <laughs> <laughs> his winning entry will be published. Wow. Yeah, very cool. A, a wonderful cool. achievement for a, a dear friend of many, many years. Uh, who in his retirement has turned his hand to ideas that have been percolating through his professional life. And now here he is putting it out into the world. Mazel to the tizzle. 100%. So I I raise my chinar to him. (laughs) You know, speaking of chinar, Jason. Yes. uh, A, it's not spelled how it's pronounced, much like a thrusk. So I think that... The Scots and whoever <laughs> created the word chinar are in cahoots. Um, I believe it's the Italians we're, we're up against here. Oh, right. The Italians. Yeah. So we got an email from Christopher Sebastian. You would call him Sebastian. We would call him Seabass. I was going to say, yeah, I would call him Seabass. And, and... His email. Oh, I'm so. I feel so good that you're letting me front load an email here. Anyway, I just need to soak that well, in for a little bit. 
we both know you're just creating more editing for yourself because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of these sentences on the cutting room floor. <laughs> so you treat yourself, Joshua. You myself. go to town, yeah. my friend. So he, he sends us an email that upon first blush, the subject is, is kind of difficult to read because it is, the word is C-Y and then parenthetically the letter O. And then N-A-R, and then parenthetically, the letter A. Uh, it says, and a terroir talk. So I think what he's trying to say is sayonara and a terroir talk. Yeah. Didn't, didn't your uh, Kimono Dragon have a sayonara in a, in a song title or an album title? I feel like you've played around with Sayonara. No, we've not played around with Sayonara. We've played around with the word Sejuan. Um, because because Chris's stage name was was Sejuan Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course it was. And Joe, and, Joe, Joe was. And by Chris, you mean Santos. And by Chris, I mean Santos. And and Joe's stage name was uh, Jijono Dragon. Ah, okay. And and do you know what my stage name was? We don't use these stage names anymore. We found that they're they're incredibly offensive and and teetering on racism. So we decided to stop using them. (laughs) So how about I don't guess and you just tell me? (laughs) So it's TVs, as in, you know, someone who starred on television... Josh and Josh is spelled J A A S H Paneer. TV's Josh Paneer. Kind of like Sog Paneer, but but Josh Paneer. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't that doesn't sound like it's verging on, on racism. Maybe cultural appropriation. But Well I, Sejuan you know, Charlie, like it kind of misses right. We used to call <laughs> that, that's Vietnam, a little question. You know, yeah. it just it gets Yeah, that one it's murky. Yeah. It's murky, Jason. Yeah, yeah. As we say in our house, it was a different time. It was it was a different time. It, it was two thousand. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so no, Kimono Dragon has never played with the word Sayonara. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so Christopher Sebastian, aka Sebas Rice, he says, "Hey, Jason and Joshua." Mm-hmm. Just gonna let that hang in the mm-hmm. air for a second there. Mm-hmm. Finally. <laughs> he says, I'm sorry, Joshua. I had to start off with Jason only because I once accidentally addressed him as you. And I am making reparations for life. It's true. I knew I had Seabass in my pocket the day he called me <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> Before I continue with the email, I need you to know it and I guess our listeners, that this email is actually a two-parter. And so I want to read the part that is apropos to the conversation at hand. But the second part is is apropos to other things we want to be talking about. So we'll be read part one Perfect. now and part two later. So Seabass uh, continues. He says, I hope you will forgive for the terrible sayonara pun in the subject line. It's truly bait to make you mispronounce the Amaro once again. <laughs> uh, do, do we forgive him? Did you? 
Did I forgive him? Yeah, for the for the pun. Oh, I forget. The very I, sentence you just read. No, I, I already forgiven and forgotten. You know, when someone asks me to forgive a pun, I try to forget that immediately because no one, and I repeat, Jason, this is a very declarative statement. No one should ever apologize for a pun. They are the world's most perfect statement. Uh, it, it, is, it is the origin. It is, it is the, the murky, uh, bubbling, primordial ooze that the dad joke came from. And so puns so, are never, you never need to forgive them. So, so here's why I do not forgive him. Oh, jeepers, creepers. Too many parenthetical letters. Oh, I'm with you there. Uh, it is, it's tortured. This is this pun has been strangled to death with the parenthetical lettering. So, Seabass, sorry, reparations continue, and your lack of forgiveness in my quarter continues. Do you know what? I'll do it. You know, if I'm emailing someone, someone reaches out to us in Single Cast Nation, says, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to find some of your whiskey at a local shop." And I will say, can you let me know what bottle, and then I put an S in parentheses after that, that you're mm-hmm. looking for, and then I can help them find mm-hmm. that. So I think I think a single parenthetical letter, perhaps at the end, works, but but I agree. Yeah. I think I think his version is quite tortured. Yeah, back, back of the class, Seabass. This, <laughs> this has did, failed this day. Did you bring a dunce cap for him? Oh, he's wearing it right now? <laughs> so... Pun aside, he continues, <laughs> on the note, I have a delicious Chinar cocktail that I thought you, you might like. It's called, <laughs> quote, the art of the choke. Yes. It says, insert classic Joshua line here. I feel as if I don't need to insert anything here. Like the joke, the, you don't have to say the joke to say the joke. It's it's always the choke with you I I, I don't know He says It's the art of the choke And it can be done in a couple of different ways Based on your mood And so here's the basic Says One ounce light rum Or any flavorful rum Decent brown rum Is a fine substitute I, I take issue with the idea of Talking about rums by color We'll talk about that mm-hmm. in a later date. So one ounce of the light rum, one ounce of the chinar, three quarters tablespoon lime juice. Apologies for, for any of our overseas listeners. I can't translate any of this to milliliters. Um, three quarter ounce simple syrup. Yeah. If, if you want to give a guide, one ounce is 30 mil. Ah, there you so, go. All right. So three quarters. So people, people can write yeah, this yeah. on the back of a napkin themselves. There you go. Um, one quarter ounce green chartreuse, which I agree with. I agree with Seabass. He says it's sadly harder to find. That is true. Man, it has kicked off, has it not? It has. Green chartreuse. I, I've heard stories from retailers where customers are turning down yellow chartreuse because they've come for green. Yes. Yeah. Like, the- yeah, but there's no green. What if you took yellow? And worked with that. Yeah, green chartreuse <laughs> has become the pappy of chartreuse. 
100 100 no one saw that coming um and then the and then the other bit of it is one mint sprig and he says muddle mint and simple syrup stir the other ingredients over ice serve in a rocks glass with ice garnish with a mint sprig and then finally he says this is a solid amaro forward old-fashioned drink if you are feeling something yeah. bitter. But, and this is a big but, because he used four U's in this but. It says, if you are feeling something more tiki-esque, I recommend upping the lime and the simple syrup to three quarters of an ounce each. And this is a bright, refreshing, and flavorful summer cocktail. So the art of the choke. And Jason, however mm. you want to get choked out, you just have to change That's up uh, some ratios. Wow, that is wild. I, uh, pivoting an old-fashioned style Amaro cocktail to tiki. I'm still getting my head around that part of it all, but power to them. I, I love that we've got Foster getting the chinar uh, off and running here and, and artichokes coming to the fore in our cocktail ingredients. Oh, this is, it's it's a, a wild time, Joshua. Hell of a time to be alive. It's a thing. I, I'm excited. I, I like that this Chinar ha, has started sparking people's recipes. I, mm-hmm. I was just in New York yesterday with uh, with our friend Mitch Wilson. You mem- may remember him from Black Tot. And... Uh, and we enjoyed some nice summery cocktails. Mine had mezcal and green chartreuse and <gasps> passion fruits. You're, <laughs> you're part of the problem. I am. I'm part no! of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make a cocktail that's Pappy Springbank and green chartreuse, <laughs> and call it the unobtainable. The unobtainable. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah. And anyway, yeah. Just with the with the warmer weather, the idea of cocktails is always a bit more alluring, and so I think yep. perfect timing for us in the in the up there world. For those in the down there world, fortunately, they're not getting the warmer weather. They're getting the slightly cooler weather, ah. and they're moving out of their cocktail season. That, gosh, I looked longingly upon them. When they were in their warmer weather phase. So. You're talking about our Australian friends and our New That's Zealand exactly friends and the it. Hobbits. Yes. Exactly. And the Hobbits. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those Hobbits love their cocktails. They have one at a live-in. <laughs> they have one at one. <laughs> Sometimes they have potatoes in them. Yeah, they, they, have, they have cocktail. Then they have second cocktail. <laughs> Elevensies. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, so, so listen, I, I know we've got the, the second part of Seabass, and it's going to be part of a larger conversation we're moving mm-hmm. to based on our last episode. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've taken today, as we sometimes do in the, in the warmer summer months, I know this drops at the very tail end of spring, but we often take time to, to spend with one another. And, and this is one of those occasions mm-hmm. we have, have not seen the other's face in a, in a significant hot minute. And, mm. and I'm kind of curious how you are, uh, what you've been up to, where you've been. Why have you not been uh, in front of my face? Because you won't turn around. I just see the back of your head every time I keep calling your name. Jason, Jason, you're like a cat. You just ignore me. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of spit <laughs> gathering between my shoulder blades. 
Jason, Neil, Patrick, Harris, Johnston, Yellen. Fucking won't turn around. Fucking won't turn around. <laughs> That's why I started talking about the rhythm of that statement. I have really uh, fallen for it. I tell you, so what, what have I been doing? Um, so something, I, I, have, I, have I told you? So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you two things. <laughs> I'm gonna go with no <laughs> because <laughs> I'm gonna tell you two things. Ooh. Um and Ooh. one of them may or may not be interesting to you or the or the listeners. And the other one I think will be especially of interest to you and maybe the listeners. <laughs> so, so the listeners are kind of on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, they're here. on the shit so, end of the stick here. So good luck, friends. Let's see where this goes. So you may remember two and a half years ago, I, I started hitting the treadmill. I started running. And we have heard this. Yeah, huh? yeah. And, I, and I went from the whiskey cherub to the whiskey racing snake. Uh, I had... Uh, <laughs> by, by way of the whiskey whippet. By way of the whiskey whippet, yeah, whippet good. Do, 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 do. Anyway, um, and and I lost, I want to say about fifty pounds, uh, about fifty pounds. Which, which to our to our UK listeners, that that's a bit over three stone, or a bit under three stone, I should say. Um, and then over the yeah. period of the yeah, because right, fourteen pounds per yeah. stone. Yeah, yeah. Three fourteens is forty-two. So a bit under, a bit over three stone. Why did I think it was fifty-two? Did I carry the ten? I think I carried the ten. You did. I did. I carried the <laughs> ten. Well, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, in the past, say an entire decimal. <laughs> uh, in the past, say six to nine months, I have gained back about ten pounds. <laughs> Uh, ah, okay. So you were thinking the ten, yeah. okay? And uh, and and I didn't like that because I I got big, Jason. You didn't have to say it. I saw it in your in your I saw it in your heart. That's where oh, I saw I it. Would, I, I would I would never say that to somebody. I would I would let them live with themselves. Listen, this is what we teach our boys. People already feel bad enough about themselves, no matter how they look. Be nice to people, right? Everyone's dealing with something. Oh, I've, so how, how did the, how did the ten come back on? Did you stop running? Did you run less? Did you drink more? Did you get a bit naughty in your habits? Like where, where did the ten come so from? So I started running less. Travel kicked mm. in, so running became Indeed a bit more does. difficult. Indeed, it does. Uh, and then and then there was like then there was like the the evening the night. Time munchies where I just said, oh, if I could just have a little bit of licorice or a little, uh, maybe I'll just oh. have some peanuts or, you know, just something. I don't have a huge sweet tooth, but, well, you know. Let listeners know, Joshua, I've said it for years. It's always the peanuts with you. <laughs> and they're so nice and salty in my mouth, Jason. See, it gets you where you're oh going. Oh, my gosh. I, it's a naughty treat. Jason, I was choking on peanuts the other day. <laughs> Is I, I, I feel like this isn't a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 because I gained that 10, uh, if we're being honest, maybe it's closer to 12 pounds back. Okay. Um, this is a safe place. You can be honest. Haida has been looking at this sort of like food cleanse kind of thing. 
mm-hmm. where the idea of it is not to just throw you on some crazy diet, but it starts you off on incredibly simple foods, incredibly simple foods that you just kind of build on. And it gives you an idea of, of how your body's going to react to foods, which was good because I was getting heartburn. Gaining that weight back was giving me mm-hmm. nonstop heartburn. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to see if it was a food allergy issue or blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, she put us on this month plan, which come this this, sun, this come July 10 uh, will be the last day of what? it. June 10? Did I say July 10? I meant June 10. And uh, <laughs> we'll be on the last day of it. And so we've been on this food plan and I've been upping my running to every other day. It used to be every day, but every other day is really much more manageable. And I lost six of those 10 to 12 pounds that I gained. So I feel really good about that. And so here's the connection to the second part that is more of more interest to you and potentially of interest to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so well, if nothing else, we can be clear here that we do not pander to our listeners. Right? <laughs> Here's a whole bunch of shit you might have no interest in. Anyway, tell me, go on. So with this plan, you are allowed one cheat meal per week. So I, I've been off the sauce. Other than tasting some sample casks here and there, no beer, no wine, mm-hmm. no whiskey, mm-hmm. no sake, no mm-hmm. nothing, no sherry. Mm-hmm. That part's been killing me. Um, and, but you get, a, <laughs> you get a cheat meal. And so mm-hmm. this past Thursday, uh, your own brother, Murray, <laughs> and his wife, Nicola, were mm-hmm. in country. I'm familiar. You heard of them? You heard of your brother? Uh, heard of them. You heard of Murray and Nicola? Uh, Kate, they came into New Haven, and I treated them to Bar New Haven, my favorite pizza place. Lovely, lovely. And I had maybe six cocktails that night. Oh my lord! <laughs> well, no, let, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was going to make on. a joke that that. If you're allowed one cheat meal, it would be an all-you-could-eat buffet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to make that joke. So, <laughs> so here you've decided to have six cocktails. So okay. Let, let me clarify. I had three cocktails, two beers, and a mezcal. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. So perfect. <laughs> Boy, did I wake up feeling like pure human garbage the the next morning. But anyway, getting to spend time two on two, me and Haida, Murray and Nicola, um, at Bar Pizza, eating Mexican street corn pizza. Oh, delicious. Uh, delicious. Uh, drinking some good IPAs. And, and then we went to this bar, Ordinary, just around the corner, and they, they specialize in cocktails. And, and our, our, our server was so good. Nicola was like going over the menu, over the menu, and she just couldn't figure out what to say. And everybody else had ordered their drink, and she still didn't know what to do. And just in a flustered panic, she just looked at him and said, Vodka. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay, vodka, okay. Where can we go from here? And so he started like giving the spectrum of vodka-based drinks, and he was 
awesome. And uh, nice. yeah, it was just, she ended up getting some fancy version of a Cosmo. Haida got some sweet rum drink. Your brother got some agricole, like crazy, you know, funky oh, wow. rum drink. Ooh. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a good time treating, treating your brother Nicola to, uh, to a night in New Haven. And you said, I know you're saying uh, bar is the place where you get the pizza. Mm. What was the name of the bar where you got the cultures? I think you already said it, but just to reiterate. Oh, you're going you're gonna to love, here's a further connection as well to us. So the name of the bar is called Ordinary. Ordinary, so okay. Ordinary is slightly newer, maybe 10-ish years old, and it, it was in a place that used to be called Richter's, which was Yale's most classic bar, and it closed at some point, and they took over. But our friend Justin Fornal, one of the three mm-hmm. Great Isla swimmers, which listeners may mm-hmm. remember him from future episodes, um, the owner of Ordinary... Namely Great Isla Swim. What's that? <laughs> Namely Great Isla Swim. Namely Great Isla Swim. But there was also the live <laughs> podcast we did at Jubilee. Um, anyway, uh, one of his best friends owns Ordinary Bar, and I discovered the bar through Justin. So nice little uh, awesome. full circle there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yep. There you go. And then you collapsed at home with, and then woke up to a significant hangover. Do you ever, do you ever go to sleep drunk? And just, you you fall asleep feeling as if you have to vomit, and then you dream about having to vomit. Oh, that's bad. That's a bad sign, because invariably you then wake up covered in vomit. So the good news is I was not. The bad news is Haida was. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure to turn my head and cough. Uh, yeah, so, so that's it. Just A- what have I been up to? Watching my weight. B, going at full excess with your brother and Nicola. So, so what's interesting is I get labeled the most dangerous person in any town I find myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet Jason was nowhere to be found in that story. And yet you made a host of mistakes. So Significant mistakes. I, I, I don't know if it's... If it's that it's Jason is the most dangerous person in town, I think it's when a Johnston is in town. (laughs) I think Murray was your proxy. (laughs) There is something, though. You you say this to me all the time when you and I are out and about, but I am notorious. (laughs) Funnily enough, something you never say. That's true. And. And I'm notorious for getting the taste, right? Mm. Like Mm -hmm. if if I if I go along and I'm you know going through a period of of not drinking or or like you, I've I've gone through the last maybe ten days or so only sampling casks that are coming across the threshold. Mm -hmm. But if I'm out about we're socializing, having a good time, enjoying the company of the one I'm with Mm -hmm. or the group I'm with. I really start to get the taste. And I'm like, that opening beer was delicious. Oh, yeah. And now, well, let's have a second one. And then, okay, that second one was delicious. Let's let's get some drams to go with these beers. Or 
Let's pivot to cocktails and let's do something a bit more dangerous. Uh, you get so and, excited. And you're you're all about the next step. Oh, what's next? Now what can we abs- do? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that that to me is the taste. Uh-huh, right? That uh-huh. hungering for something else to heighten the experience. Take it to the next level. It's having some pizza and beer that then turns into, well, you know, we could get some shorts or I know a good cocktail bar around the corner. Like you, you got the taste. You were, you were ramping it up. Well, one, like Heidi and I, the the problem with a a treat meal is that you look forward to it the whole week. And it's kind of like, you know, fasting, (laughs) You know, whether you're doing it on a holiday like Yom Kippur, you're just fasting to fast. You're looking forward to that meal afterwards and you start thinking about it. So when treat meal came up, we pre-gamed with... (laughs) This was the first of three cocktails. Uh, We pre-gamed with a black tot daiquiri. That was our our thing. (laughs) And we're like... Because here's the thing, Jason... Uber was our friend. We had an Uber come oh, pick us up. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know? So it's oh, we adulted. Run it to the max. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, I had license. Uh, I had license. <laughs> I, I tell you, I tell you, an occasion for me is is the end of Passover. Mm. So when you've gone eight days living on matzah, <laughs> and there's been no French baguettes, there's been no sourdough, there's been no multi-grain loaves, mm-hmm. that first sandwich after oh, Passover ends yes. is orgasmic. It's just, <laughs> so, oh my, like it's eight days. Like it's only, it's not a year, it's not eight years, it's eight days. Man. And I just go... I forgot how good a sandwich can taste. So, all right. So really quickly, because I feel as if this is important, because you brought up three different kinds of bread that all have their orgasmic qualities. <laughs> a French baguette with that kind of like, you just squeeze it a little bit and it starts to crunch. Absolutely. Right? So, you, Absolutely. so you've got that. You can kind of toast it if you like. Like Absolutely. a proper, proper San Francisco sourdough bread that kind of bites you back a little bit like that. And then like a whole grain. Like, I feel like we've entered your fever dreams now. <laughs> but my point is like, what, what do you go? Like when people say, can you what's your hands your, where I can see them? <laughs> like, what is your go to? Right. What's your, what's your what's your desert sandwich? What's your desert bread? <laughs> Of the three, would you would you go for that baguette for the for the simplicity of it or the the multi grain for the complex flavors and textures? No, I would. It's it's the it's the third one you're about to name. It would be the sourdough mm. because sourdough is not a thing I'm eating on a regular okay. basis, okay. right? There's a lot of empty calories in a sourdough, and so whereas I am. If I am having a sandwich in the house, it is multigrain bread and rather delicious multigrain bread at that. But a sourdough is a good treat. Yeah. Because you know you're having those empty calories oh, yeah. and you're loving the sourness of it, that little yeah, bite yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So so then it's easier to not have that sourdough in the house. One nation under barley that makes bread. <laughs> 
One, one nation under Joshua's fever dreams. Uh, that's the other thing. It's been a month I haven't had bread. Oh, oh no, you, you don't have to tell us that, Joshua. We all picked up on that. Wait, what kind of bread was it? Don't don't yes. slow down. Don't leave out of details. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you 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 unsheathed the serrated knife. Okay, uh-huh. You've you've presented the loaf. Ah, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, tell me, how how did you stroke it? Just tell me. Just tell me. <laughs> Okay, somebody get a nice water I for Joshua. I feel like you Hatton. took this to a ice really weird place, Jason. Dude, dude, we've been listening to you for a fair few minutes here. Okay, okay. Me and all the listeners. All right, so with that said, turnabout is fair play. I haven't seen you in God knows how long. What's been going on in Jason's life? Talk to us about all the bread you've been eating. <laughs> Just, just tell me, where have you been? What have you eaten? And pray to God it was sandwiches. Pray sandwiches. to God. I tell you who's, who is loving this segment is uh, Chris Sweet Scott Hallstrom oh, is he? uh, in Glasgow. He is a sandwich lover. Uh, he, and, he and I have, uh, have cheeky wee sandwiches when there we're together. You there you go. <sighs> okay, so, so me. So where have I been? So, so I did a whistle stop. West Coast John. Ah, that's right. And so I, I, I and I did. I, I mentioned this in our last little news segment mm-hmm. when I talked about being in Boise, uh, being in Moscow, doing a bit of uh, tasting there, mm-hmm. putting the Wolf uh, Island Take Two in front of people, mm-hmm. the Copper Works. Um, yeah, what wonderful, wonderful tastings. Getting in a bit of morel. Mushroom hunting. Really? Um, you didn't tell me that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got out into the the Idaho forests, oh. did a bit of morel hunting. Um, Easy, not, hard. Not overly yeah. s- successful yeah. at the altitudes we were at. Okay. Um, Idaho was experiencing a significant heat wave when I was there. Oh, and so this yeah. this middle of May they were. Their temperatures were mid eighties. Oh yeah. So you know, get, getting around the thirty centigrade mark, um, pretty pretty hot, pretty pretty warm out there. Getting into the forest was magnificent. Mm. The temperature dropped, you know, ten fifteen degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we went we went plodding. Oh my gosh, you talk about orgasmic food moments. We're, we're out walking. Over the course of a couple of days, I probably covered maybe 25 miles just foraging. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So not, not just even a direct trail, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. meandering uphill, down dale, over fallen trees and, and through brush. It was, it was really, really wonderful. And on the second day, the, the afternoon, uh, Andrew, who, who I was with, along with good friend Uncle Carl, pulled out. Home dehydrated pineapple, Ooh. and and I took a bite of that in the woods, and oh my gosh, the earth moved underneath me. It was magnificent. Under my feet, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was playing. That was the soundtrack wow, in my mind as a, as I was tasting that. Oh my god, it was amazing. So. Um, I I currently have pineapple uh, on my counter at home. I am intending to dehydrate. 
uh, some of my own pineapple for the next time I take a hike. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, see if I can repeat that moment out in the wilderness. Um, so, that, so that was that. Then I made it over to San Francisco, um, got to discuss uh, American single malt whiskey with uh, Steve Hawley, president of the commission. Ah, beauty. Yep. Uh, it was it was a you know a, a dinner. It was cocktails. It was drinks. It was it was nosh um, together. It was getting the taste and things <laughs> uh, being a little bit fun in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then me walking home from the financial district through Chinatown. Uh, to the apartment I was in, um, um, kindly loaned to me by my sister-in-law ah, and her family, okay. and uh, and I was I was walking home. It you know it, it was it was it was an hour in the morning time, and yeah. and I'm I'm walking up these hills and there's not a soul on them and I'm and I'm thinking, this is this is like walking home in Glasgow, right? Huh. You, you walk uphill, down dale, you mm-hmm. take turns. Mm-hmm. Might have got myself a little bit lost um, by, by walking home using ways. <laughs> no real ways. Yeah, just just for the funsies. Just that's, interesting. That's what I have on my phone, right? Shows you where roads are. I guess. Shows so. you where you are. I guess so. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and and so people have asked me this since, like, oh, you were in San Francisco. How was it? Like dangerous? Like homeless people? Oh, you know? yeah. You challenge you in every turn. I was like, nope. There's a distinct zone that is a a no go zone at most hours of the day. But again, I was in the financial district. I was in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, nah, to- totally safe. Not an issue. You could have gone down the wharf very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, no great issues. You know. You know. I, I will say I do have a, a conversation. Uh, coming up in a future episode, you know, it might be the next episode, might be, might not be. You know, I, I don't want to tie us down, <laughs> but I, I speak with Thad Vogler, ah. who uh, at, at Bar Agricole. You know, you made me think of it a moment ago when you mentioned Murray taking ah. on the the Agricole rum. There you go. And, and I speak with Thad Vogler, who also wrote By the Smoke and the Smell, mm-hmm. which I've Great highly, book. highly recommended yeah. uh, on this podcast many a time, and. Um, and I speak with him and we talk about San Francisco and, and we do a little bit of history of San Francisco uh, through his eyes, the way we did uh, a previous history of D.C. through the eyes of Bill Thomas. And it's a, a, a tremendous conversation. And, and we talk a little bit about what's the housing crisis looking like? What's the homelessness mm, crisis mm. looking like? Uh, what, what's the pandemic done? So... So that, that was a, a wonderful, wonderful conversation there, Beauty. but a whistle-stop tour in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then I, I closed out with a whistle-stop tour uh, through through L.A., where I was I was in L.A. for less than 24 hours as well. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Um, yep, yep. Uh, got, got to have a lunch with, with Gabby and her husband Chris of the Mixing Glass, who are in Orange County. Uh, it's always a treat to see them and catch up with them. And I was meant to be meeting with our very own Greg Swartz of the Water of Life film that we reference uh, many, many times. Many times. And, uh, and, he, and he unfortunately got very ill and, uh, and we had to cancel our meeting and I changed my flight. I flew yeah. home early. And, uh, and yeah, LA came to a very quick end. I will say just very quickly 
the reason my brother's in the country, the reason my mother's in the country, uh, the reason I've also been very busy and my, and my wife is beyond belief busy is when this episode drops uh, later in this week, we will have a bar mitzvah. And mm-hmm. and our our thirteen year old will be called to the Torah, and you will be in town, and Haida will be in town, and we will blow the bloody doors off. I say, as you put on your Michael Caine glasses, <laughs> it, that's that's gonna be a time as well. And the the date you gave, you're you're ending this this Sunday, so you will be out of the fasting and into the feasting again. And we will endeavour to put six pounds back on you. So it looks like we may be carrying this on for a further 11 months. Well, we look forward to being your cheat meal (laughs) of the weekend. Oh, no, no. Yeah, our treat meal. Yes, indeed. Um, Yeah, I, I... I'm actually I'm enjoying it and seeing the results when you when you set out to lose weight and you see the results it's infectious or at least for me it's infectious so so we may carry on with this and I, I think I'm just going to do my best to live a healthier life Jason guess what's going to happen later this year I have heard by way of this podcast that you will be turning 50 the big five zero. I'm not getting any younger, and so I think eating more healthy, healthier, running, just taking care of myself is a thing I got to be doing. Well, as far as transitions go, let me bring in somebody at this point who is known for their running by way of their Instagram account. Oh, I know who you're talking about. It's it's a transition right. for sure. It's a right. bit tor- it's a bit tortured, but but I see the connection. Oh, I, I don't, oh, I don't, I don't think this is tortured in the slightest. I think this is a delightful moment to move beyond bread and sandwich-related orgasms to terroir, and there's no better way than to get onto terroir than bringing in Anna Hins of Westland fame, and. And she sent us a text that I said, do you mind if I read on the the podcast? And she said, please do. And she said, as long as you don't think it sounds too rambly or discombobulated. And I said, you have listened to Joshua, right? Whoa. You meant to say Joshua (laughs) and me. Sorry. To which she said, I was going to make that joke and then opted not to. So, (laughs) There is the... Someone is the better person. So just just really quickly before you go and read that. Um, not to be I'm gonna, I'm gonna not ram- to be rambling. Uh-huh. But, but not I to just, make the point. I just want to say really quickly, when we launched season seven, we said we were going to set out to talk about agriculture more, to talk about climate more, to uh, of which the idea of terroir is this is connected to. So the, the fact that we're continuing this theme and allowing ourselves the time to do it, I'm happy we're doing. And more importantly, between, between Anna Hins and, and Christopher, and I know we've got uh, Christopher Sebastian that is, and I know we have some other things coming in 
for this episode. I, I'm just, I'm thankful that it's not just us that are keeping ourselves on task, but people mm, are reaching mm-hmm. out to us to keep us on task too. So just a really quick thank you to, to the people who support us. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, once you hear this text, it will make you feel good about what we're endeavoring to do here. Good. So, so, so Anna writes, and actually, I'm just kind of quietly scrolling to see if if I need to add more of our conversation. But I, I think I can leave this uh, as as it is. So, so Anna writes. You should know that this Padcast episode, and she is referring to the Jeff Bloom Maltster episode, uh, mm-hmm. that if, if anyone hasn't caught, we, we do highly recommend. Um, it really has spurred a lot of, of conversation. You should know that this Padcast episode has sparked a lengthy and fantastic discussion slash debate with a distiller friend of mine about terroir. Huh. We're going back and forth about the wine explanation of terroir. Parenthetical comment from Anna. Mm. And I would say Mark Renier's understanding. Close parenthetical okay. comment. All right. Mark Renier of Waterford, previously of exactly. Brooklady. Yeah. Exactly. Versus the more, quote-unquote, sense of place usage that's more common in the whiskey world that includes people, environment, and equipment. Mm -hmm. She goes on, and then also what's discernible or even useful to the consumer, especially without clear research for regionality, etc. And then she concludes, basically... Please keep on digging on. Uh, please keep on digging into this topic, because I look forward to seeing how this develops in our industry. Wow, wow, that's a cool email or text, I should say. It, Very cool text. Isn't that a cracker? And, yeah. and and it really opened my eyes to a new angle, which is we are all discussing. Mark Renier's conception of terroir. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, this isn't, and, and the reason that I kept this name in here is this is in no way to throw Mark under the bus here. Mm-hmm. This is just to say he started this conversation clearly at Brookladdie, transferred it over to Waterford. Mm-hmm. And we need to be careful that as we go down a discussion of terroir, we're not simply using a single perspective yeah. on that term. Yeah. And it's, it's worth developing what do we in whiskey mean when we use terroir and what do we mean by terroir in wine even when we talk about it in wine. And I, mm. I, I had a, a much lengthier mm. conversation with, with Ollie Chilton at, at Elixir, at the head blender Elixir over this. We'd actually connected to talk about covering the, the blind samples of Macbeth that we'll get to later in this episode as well. Yep. Um, we'd actually connected on that front and he said, but first I want to talk to you about your Maltster episode, which he loved as well. Oh, that's great. Um, yep. And so I got him to commit some words as well. So we'll we'll circle back to Ollie in a minute. 
But when listeners hear me pick up this Mark Renier thread, mm-hmm. it's coming from Anna here. And it, it was reiterated in my conversations with Ollie. I like how she touched on that, that second perspective of terroir about, about people. Because I think, it's, I think it's very important. You could have a distillery in a place and say, yeah, but I want to produce this sort of spirit. And how you ferment, how you distill, um, and, and, and a number of other things, even how you mash, will change that style. Like If you wanted to, you could create a quote-unquote lowland style on Isla if you wanted to. Because if you wanted to. If you, because yeah. that... Because people are involved, and what do you want to do? So it's there's two sides to the story, maybe more than two sides to the to the terroir story here. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a not a duality. But go on to to the rest of sea bass there, because ah, okay. I, I you're starting to tease out things in your comments there that will echo in ah, in Ollie okay. and, and okay. what I had Ollie uh, put keys to keyboard or fingers to keyboard. <laughs> So back to Seabass, and he says, uh, I wanted to chime in on your terroir conversation you had post the Jeff Bloom, Amanda Beckwith interview, which was incredibly Mm -hmm. fascinating, by the way. Awesome. Yes, thank you. Towards the end, as you were debriefing the conversation amongst yourselves, it turned to the way that Jeff talked about the differences in spirits, beer, and wine. I think, and that's all capital letters, I think I understood it slightly differently than you did, Joshua, but I was hoping to get your thoughts on it. Continues. It seems to me that Jeff was saying that wine specifically was a simpler product in the way that it was produced, which then led to more direct connection between the raw ingredients and the finished product. This, in turn, leads to a more easily definable terroir from a standard human sensory perspective rather than needing to get down to the molecular level in a lab or directly manufactured side-by-side comparisons to see what differences are in existence. So my takeaway was that there's a difference in all those different categories, but wine gets the biggest shine for terroir because its production process allows for us humans to most clearly see the connection between place and the end product. Hence, the common trope of a sommelier being able to identify a standalone glass of wine down to the region producer year, etc. Do you think that that's a good way to look at it? And then uh, just really quickly, he, he closes it up saying, Loved how he said that at the end of the day, the grain does make a difference, being grown from the ground. And the way he talked about flavor inputs, I thought was interesting and bears some reflection upon. Excited to hear your thoughts and cheers. So, 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 so. The way Seabass talked about it was the way I had hoped Jeff was talking about it, but it didn't seem immediately apparent to me upon first listen. So now, so now it's clear that maybe in my listen, I, I saw a squirrel or a shiny quarter, and, and I maybe missed some of the nuance 
of, of what he was trying to say, because I think that's spot on. There, there's far less human um, intervention when it comes to producing wine. There's, you have to do less to the grapes to create a wine, and therefore the connection to terroir is just that much more immediate and, and apparent. And that's what I was trying to convey in, in my response to you in, in that portion of the podcast was I I didn't think you were you were quite spot on with it, but it was a okay, where's the textual evidence there? And listeners who are listening to interview and then our discussion have mm-hmm. an immediacy there uh, that is quite useful. I, I did actually check with a couple of people to say I know that that I was kind of going off memory in my response to your interpretation of Jeff. Yeah. And did did they think I was remembering it correctly? Um, and, and I did have a couple of people say, yeah, I, I think I think you, you, the way you responded to Joshua was correct, given what Jeff had covered in the interview. So, Not to um, create an excuse here, but sometimes, sometimes my first listen of an episode or or an interview is is simply during the editing process and I'm paying more attention to what ums and ahs need to be deleted or if someone says oh you know what I, that's not how I meant to say it can we rewind and, and then I adjust those things which <laughs> and so my my point is um, my first and only listen was during the editing process process of it and so i need to go back and really give it that that full listen because it's and, obvious i missed and that's I missed exactly the point, it right, right? Yeah. Yeah. that's that's exactly and that's that's where the listeners driving in a car or riding a bus or out for a run with airpods in or mm-hmm. earbuds in mm-hmm. right there's mm-hmm. there's there's something very direct there when you're listening and and you know not to get too inside baseball but it's the same for me in conducting an interview. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm listening to what's being said. I'm thinking about where to pivot the interview. Mm-hmm. I'm also asking myself that question. Okay. Is this going to work for the listener? Is this what they want to be hearing? Do I need to get this person off of this topic and onto another topic? Yeah, yeah. And so there's, you know, there's, there's a bit of plate spinning going on. And so, so sometimes I envy the listener that opportunity to, to listen in an intimate fashion. Yeah. But again, somebody else saying, thanks for continuing this chat. Thanks for making this a topic of consideration um, is, is also wonderful to hear. So let me, let me springboard because there, there's some things I'm not saying right now that I would like to say. But let me springboard over to Ollie here who was, it was kind enough after a discussion to actually put thoughts on digital paper. All right. Is this in a so, PDF? Perhaps. Is this a PDF he did send? Uh, no, it's not. I turned it into a PDF. <laughs> yes, I was, I was thinking he sent me a PDF, but he didn't. Uh. What a monster. What a monster. Okay, so he says, given conversation last night, here are my brief thoughts on digital paper. As stated in your last interview, there is little doubt that barley variety, growing conditions, etc. can all have an impact on flavour in the end spirit. Mm -hmm. The question from me is, should it? The whiskey 
interpretation of terroir seems to only revolve around the grape and its growing condition, Hmm. where my understanding of the French meaning is more nuanced and involves the grower and how the grower is working Um. with the changing conditions to create their interpretation of the best wine in any given growing year. It is an ever-changing feast that celebrates the changing environment and the changing culture. Just as a very quick aside between you and me, Joshua, I think this is something Jeff Bloom has introduced to our discussion of terroir. Mm-hmm. In that interview, when he, which was really a, a tour of the malting facility, but, but in that conversation, he's busy saying, I need to pay attention to the, the batch of grain that comes in my door. Mm-hmm. I cannot just apply standard industrial processes to every single batch. Because depending on climate, Mm -hmm. depending Mm -hmm. on recent conditions before it was harvested, this different grain comes in in different ways and with different needs. Mm -hmm. And so I I thought that was a wonderful aspect of this conversation. Something you never even thought about, right? You just... Exactly. Grain comes in, malted grain goes out, and that's all you think. Yeah. Exactly. And then the other part, and I think this is echoed in some of Anna and in some of Seabass here, is even if terroir is present, how do you measure that, right? And Jeff opened the door to that conversation yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and we've, seen, we've seen that go through Anna and, and Seabass. And now we've got Ollie saying, okay, so why are we talking terroir? <laughs> What's... Mm. Like, why is this a useful conversation, right? And and he's conceding all of the points and saying, okay, if if I concede there's this and that and the next thing, why is this important? So let's continue here. Let's continue. I just wanted to draw those couple of aspects that I think Jeff opened the door of. Okay. So Ollie, Ollie continues in the next paragraph. Where whiskey differs for me is that it has always been a distinctly British take on how to use natural materials. Hmm. That is, how do we manipulate these ingredients to get the desired consistent outcome, parentheses, flavours, style and yield, Mm -hmm. close parentheses, there, there is, for me, a large amount of beauty in this as you are taking ever-changing variables and trying to use your understanding to achieve the same result. Surely, surely this is just as special as celebrating the difference from year to year. <laughs> Indeed, even the maltster is part of this, using their machinery to reduce down the variables for the brewer-distiller and giving them ingredients that are easier to manipulate. What he and I had been talking about in our conversation was Mm. exactly, and again, that moment where I I put myself on the line, where Jeff is talking about increasing enzymes, right? Not increasing sugar, increasing enzyme content 
that allows the unlocking of the sugars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that then go forth into fermentation and distillation. Yep. And so here's Ollie saying the the distiller doesn't just get a, a neutral grain from the ground that gets treated, as you just said a moment ago, in the front door, out the back door, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Which serves the field to the distiller, right? The maltster is doing something with his or her craft that is presenting a particular palate mm. to the distiller and then saying, go forth and do your thing here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, to Ollie's mind, capture the field or the growing conditions. It's provide me with a palette of options in using this malted barley. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, to, to fill in that gap there. I, I love it. And I, it, <laughs> it's, it's interesting that he's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So I've got two more paragraphs. Go yep, go ahead. Oh, so shit. I don't know if you want to make your point now or after the two. Uh, I'll just really quickly say this. No, you know what? Go ahead. You read. So let me just get through two more paragraphs here and, and then we can circle back to chat. Yeah. He, he, Ollie, writes, There is room in this broad whiskey world to take a more French approach to terroir and whiskey. And I would say companies like Dornock Distillery do this incredibly well, Hmm. allowing each stillman to choose the cut they feel celebrate the inputs, barley, yeast, water, in the best way possible. In a small, high-end scale, this works incredibly well. And I will admit that I buy and drink whiskey from Dornock Distillery for this reason. Oh, wow. Okay. However, and I think we know where he might be going here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. However, I am not a regular whiskey customer. And, and this echoes the comment you and I were making in Extra Extra about the Diageo Distillers Editions, mm. right? It, it feels like they might not be getting made for us and the type of drinking we do, oh, the type of buying we do, the type of sharing we do, that that might not be our sandbox. Mm-hmm. So so Ollie says, however, I am not a regular whiskey customer, and I don't believe you can apply this on a massive industrial scale, as your customer will never know what they are buying. And we are all here to make a drink not just to celebrate a school of philosophy. Uh, most, okay. most customers want to know that the bottle they spend their hard-earned cash on, a phrase we've said for <laughs> two decades, mm-hmm. decade and a half, mm-hmm. a bottle they spend their hard-earned cash on is something they will enjoy because it tastes good. And the mm. fact that Scotch whiskey can can consistently produce so many different styles from an incredible array of variables is its true strength. Love to you all, Ollie. So fantastic. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Through, throughout, throughout your entire reading... I had a comment that I've been wanting to make 
and then he tied it up in a bow for me. It's it's just it's just so perfect. The fact that he concedes terroir is is a thing, both from nature and from human intervention. And the fact that it doesn't need to be part of the conversation is is kind of a cool thing because of what Scotch whiskey is already doing. It's already creating the various different styles through spirit, through wood, through yeast, through the machinery. Whether you talk about it or not, it's a happening. And so I, I like I like that I I like that idea. I like that it's being brought back to the idea of, of a sense of place of of people. Right? We bring up Dave Broom's book, uh, his his newer book, mm-hmm. yep, quite yep, often. Yep. Right? All, 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 yep. Often. Yep. Sitting and, right next to me right now. And the fact that you like talking about it is almost exhausting. <laughs> you know. Right, and right, and so, so, so my my take is, yeah. If you're going to talk about it, why? So, so to talk about terroir, missing, not being present in a Diageo single malt, one could argue is to miss the point. One listening to a presentation on why terroir is in Ardnamurkin, is in Dornock Distillery, is in Kilhoma 100% Isla. There is a place for it. But I think the takeaway is just because you're not talking about terroir doesn't mean you're making a mistake. Yeah. Right? And I I wonder if part of this terroir conversation is that everybody should be talking about terroir. And perhaps that is mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a time and a place for it. And I'm, you know, if you're going to discuss it, have a meaningful discussion about it. Don't just throw it in because we're seeing the papification of terroir. <laughs> Everything's getting papified, Jason. Everything. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't necessarily want to stop this conversation, but I do want to pour a dram. I am getting thirsty as we're sitting talking, and this water has stopped doing it for me. And all of this talk of terroir <laughs> and process and variables and beauty. Um, I, I will say this, and this this was a takeaway from my conversation with Ollie, as well as the words he committed to digital paper, which is, and I, and I, and I just put this out there for our for our listeners to consider. We don't need to discuss this here and now. Okay. Ollie posits that wine production is an art and whiskey production is a craft. And if you if you go back into your Greek definitions, yeah. it will it will shed more light on what that could potentially mean. Man, it it kills me that you brought that up and we can't really talk about it right now because it's such a interesting way to 
think about that and what is art and what is craft and is craft art and uh, okay all right so yeah well let me let me just say this if it if it has quickly filled up your brain we have just now taking up the rest of Foster's Day because this is Foster's world and we're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he is almost certainly going to send in an email about art and craft and I go. look forward to reading it. And so you and I can further our conversation then. I just I want to get on to this next segment uh, when I when I told Tamara the window that you and I had for recording today, she said, "Really, you're you're going to be done in a tight two hours when the two of you are just sitting talking to each other." And I said, "Yes, yes, we will be." And now I'm watching the clock on the wall, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, we've been enjoying ourselves <laughs> <laughs> for a uh, while." So, 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 two things here. So, for the listener, right? That this this episode's a three parter, right? It's it's a catch-up. It's a four-parter, right? It's reading emails. It's a catch-up because we haven't seen each other in a while. And we always do sort of a summer catch-up. I think this, this seems to happen every year. There's a period of time where we just don't see each other and it's nice to catch up. So emails, 100%. catch-up, a discussion of terroir, that's three. And now the fourth yeah. is this... Is fourth mustard? That It's Colonel Mustard in the apothecary <laughs> with the butt plug. Oh, I had him with the hot dog. Damn it. <laughs> you freeze it, it could be used similarly. Anyway, so... Julie noted. <laughs> so now we're in the fourth part of this episode, and back to Ollie, Ollie Chilton. He was kind enough to pack us up some samples of this Macbeth series that we're going to be talking over the course of a few episodes, and we've got... Eight of nine samples in front of us. We're not going to taste through all eight today, but we're going to focus on two. Um, is Jason, is there anything else you wanted to say about, th- about the Macbeth series, about what we're going to do before we actually pour? And I also need to know which ones I'm pouring. I don't know which ones I'm pouring. So uh, the samples were already randomized in coming our way. So we are starting with... To be clear for the reader, they are numbered one through eight. And we are beginning with numbers one and two. That makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. It does. It makes a whole world of sense. To I wanted to ask you a question, Joshua, which for, for myself and Jess, growing up in the UK and, mm-hmm. and growing up with the stories of Roald Dahl, and, and mm. I, I mean specifically the children's stories that have such delicious horror and terror oh, yeah. for children. Yeah. We we also grew up with the Quentin Blake illustrations within those short children's novels. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if the Quentin Blake illustrations came to America and if if you too grew up with Roald Dahl and and his stories. In the UK you guys had Roald Dahl stories. In the U.S., we had Maurice Sendak, right? Where the Wild Things Indeed, Are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And we had in, in Dr. Seuss, right? Um, indeed, indeed, indeed. The, the idea of a child story in the U.S. that are so incredibly vicious and harsh... <laughs> 
did not. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a reason in Germany, you know, how do you celebrate Christmas? Let's, it's all about Krampus. Oh, it's not Santa Krampus, Claus. It's yeah. not St. Nick. It's, it's Krampus. And, uh, and so here in the U.S., like, I mean, we're, it's 2023. There's still people wanting to ban books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's yeah. we we have a we have a, a, a prudish problem here in the U.S. And so to answer your story, to answer your question, no, we did not have that. So one of the vital components of this series, uh, a collaboration between Livingston, a design house and Sir Quentin Blake, uh, and Elixir is is the labels, right? Yeah. And it's Quentin Blake reimagining characters from Macbeth yeah. as birds yeah. in his inimitable style. And I <laughs> see these labels and they transport me right back to my childhood oh, and, wow. and growing up with Quentin Blake and, and the books that I then read to my kids because Roldal meant so much to me and the Quentin Blake illustrations meant so much to me. So so that is a key aspect. And in this in this conflab with Ollie, he was saying, you know, as as, as a fellow, you know, Brit, uh, a gentleman from from England, he grew up with all this. Mm. He's passing this on to his kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's now with this series people are being like, yeah, and, and Quentin Blake and and why is he scribbled this and you know, what, why is it a bird? And so it's like, oh gosh, that's a vital component for so many people in the UK. Yeah. Um, so the flavours go beyond that. And, and yeah. the, the flavours of, of whiskies were brought about from, or the inspiration came about from the characters in Macbeth. This is the first of three series. They're calling this Act One. Okay. Uh, Eight characters have been defined, and and our challenge, as presented by Ollie, is to identify the first couple of characters based on the flavors of the whiskies we have before us. The the eight characters who they have put out are Lady Macduff, okay. Menteith. Angus, First Ghost, First Witch, First Murderer, Satan, spelled S-E-Y-T-O-N, and the Bloody Sergeant. And from those eight, Joshua... Can you say that in a Michael Caine accent? The Bloody Sergeant. (laughs) It's a Bloody Sergeant! Sorry, continue. (laughs) To to be clear, he appears in the very beginning of the play and is covered in blood. Uh, He then proceeds to deliver his message and die. So there you go. Uh, A classic Shakespearean opening. So so I'm going to... I'm going to feed you a, a little bit here as, as we go. I'm going to make your task much, much more simple, Joshua, which is as you put your nose into sample mm. number one, mm-hmm. what strikes you? So w- one thing I will say as I'm nosing this just really quickly is I did do a little bit of homework before this. As you know, Denzel Washington recently put out a movie. So I watched Training Day last night in preparation of this just to get, you know, accustomed to the characters. 
I, I will say for for our listeners, <laughs> if if you either haven't read Macbeth in a long time or or want to see a really formidable modern adaptation, the Denzel Washington Macbeth is written for the screen and directed by Joel Cohen, and is well worth your time. Absolutely delightful. So. Um, that recommendation came from from Ollie. I think you and I, Joshua, had said we had it on our watch list for a long time. Mm. And this was the perfect impetus to fire it up. Uh, I'm glad that you got to enjoy training day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so nosing number uh, one. It's, it's, there are two things happening at the same time. There's that, that sort of, pickly earthiness that you sometimes get from from like a Croftingea or a Lichig where it's just that is it pickly is it slightly sulfury is it earthy it's it's living in that world that very pleasant world and it's being so wonderfully balanced out by this floral component it's just like Right. Right, begonias or something. Yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah, there's there's unmistakable smoke. Mm -hmm. I I love your your observation of the the pickling that's happening in here. But then that that brightness, is it is it floral? It's more floral than citrus. It's it's floral, it's <laughs> it is an orange jujube, which has that <laughs> slight, very slight hint of floral soap going on, without being soapy, right? But do you know that floral quality that hand soap can have mm-hmm. mixed with a sweetness? That's what orange jujubes taste like to me, and I'm getting that on the nose. Hmm. Only because you, you said the S word a second ago. In passing, did I say smooth? I didn't would say smooth. Would you would you describe a soapiness to the experience? And this is just just an opportunity to clarify, since you introduced the word a moment ago. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it soapy. I would call this. I would call this the comfort that. Soft soap, hand soap brought me in the mid 80s when I used to stay over my grandparents' house on Saturdays and Sundays. And there's just something so nice about the way their bathroom smelled, in part because of that. And it was this sweet floral scent that simply came from the soap. And so I'm just, I'm connecting it to that, <laughs> that memory. It's just how my brain works there. Pick up, pick up number two, and, and while you're while you're giving number two a little sniff, I will say in in the press release that goes with this, they have actually oh. broken down this first act, or or even even all the acts. There will be a oh. ghost series within the three releases. There will be a House of Thane series within this larger overarching and there will be carryovers in themes Mm. as they go through this 
Um, the Ghost series will actually come from closed distilleries. The the Witch series, I did read this in the in the press release, goes down a peated path. And and what's kind of got me, and the reason I bring this up is. I'm getting a peated path from the first two blind samples. And I know yeah. from the press release that one of those might encapsulate the witch. You also think of the cauldron and you think of, you know, toil and trouble and you think about the ingredient list. Mm. You think about outdoors and smoky fires. Like, I, you know, when we were first presented with this challenge, I wondered if the witch might be one of the easier uh, to mm. identify mm-hmm. and then lesser characters like Angus, like Satan, S-E-Y-T-O-N, might be more difficult to identify. So I, you know, I, I know we're not quite into the guessing stage and I will reiterate that the characters we're thinking of, but I can't not think which with number two. So I I can't not think it either. This almost feels like an older, softer, you know, obviously the, just really quickly for the listeners here, right? Sample number one was a very bright, light, bright color, right? You know, I I would almost say white Mm -hmm. gold, Mm -hmm. right? It is very pale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where the second Mm -hmm. one seems to have some sort of a sherry or wine cast component going on. It almost seems yeah. like an older version, an older sherry version of what happened oh my gosh. in the first, because there is that, there, the pickly funkiness, pickly funky smokiness turned into an earthy, funky smokiness, but it's much more subdued by comparison, which makes me think some of that may have gotten aged out in a sherry cask a little bit, and it's a bit more integrated in the overall... Again, I'm just nosing it. I haven't tasted it yet, but I, I feel as if we're, we're, we're in the same silo here. We're just two very different characters that have some sort of a connection, some sort of a connection. Interesting. I am I am going through the tasting notes okay. as created by Dave Broom and and scanning. The the Lady Macduff opens a gentleness of manner and vulnerability is what you find on first and I've I've already stopped reading, right? That's none of these two. That's not these characters. Yeah, there's no vulnerability right. happening here. No. Right, right. I'm moving on to Menteith. Maturity brings forth a relaxed air. This is now a life of ermine, the satisfaction of sweetmeats and spices, fruits Mm. and flowers. Mm. Yet for all the damask rose and sandalwood at the core lurks, lurks a hint of smoke. Comfort pushed aside in darkness embraced, the muscles flex anew, power grows, it will act. Wow, that's, that sounds like number two in right a here. Wheelhouse, <laughs> right? That that's that's in a wheelhouse. Um, Angus, who who is again somewhat of a of a minor character, belongs in the house of Thane. 
quietness can be an asset. I'm not, not sure I would consider either of these quiet. Those who stand mm-hmm. in the shadows are the silent witnesses. Much has been seen and any sweetness which has been gathered in will be balanced by the darker acts of war. Pa- plotted under paraffin light, there's spice in the tales told. I, I don't think that's either but, of these two. But it's it's kind of difficult to get there from the tasting notes alone, only because of the order in which we're nosing and tasting these. Because I, I guarantee number two would taste smell and taste different if we led with it. Number The first whiskey was so incredibly forceful with its funky, pickly, floral quality that when I first poured sample number two, it was quieter. It was softer. And it did oh, seem to... Oh, right? that's, oh, that's interesting. You said that wasn't my experience at all. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I found it to be large and smoky and and threatening the way the witches are threatening, uh, right? Yeah, Which is, I, yeah. they're, they're not Freddy Krueger stabbing you in your dreams, right? They're haunting and they're around the periphery and they're setting you up you know if if you see you know Macbeth's descent into madness mm-hmm. through his conversations with the witches right mm-hmm. i think that's exactly what number 2 is doing right so I, I i think number 2 is remarkable i agree with you wholeheartedly my only point is after the first one, it took me a little bit to dig into the second one because by comparison, upon first blush, the second whiskey wasn't jumping out at me, but the more time I spend with it, and, and you know, I always try to, to write my, my nose just like you do, you know, you give, you, you give your arm a smell or something like that and it resets your nose, that's when all of the things we're talking about jumps out. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm skipping on a few characters here because we're, we're talking about the witch so much. I do want to see what is written for the witch here. We have there on the little promontory, a peat fire smoulders by a soot blackened cave, Ooh. guttering light, tattered oilcloth, a weird medicine swirling in the cauldron, a promise. A contract, the draw of a world of smoke and tar, fish livers and enveloping violet night. Violet or violent? And so violet, violet night for the colour of the sky rather than the... So as I was nosing this second one, I thought for a second... Yet there was a hint of lavender, just a hint. And then when you said violet, I'm like, okay, floral component, maybe. Um, so the character that you're just describing, is that the one that was played by Ethan Hawke in Training Day? <laughs> oh, you are trouble, Mr. Hatton. You are trouble. <laughs> so can I taste this? Am I allowed to give it a wee sipperoo? You. You can you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her learn Shakespeare. Or him. 
Hashtag wall. So, oh, sip. Sorry, I've, I've been sipping like crazy. I didn't Did know I you've know? been sipping. I thought, I thought it oh, would absolutely. break some cardinal rule oh. here. Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't. I couldn't taste this without mm. sipping. Oh. oh, man. Whatever character whiskey number two is, <laughs> that's a delicious character. Oh, it just grabs you by the taste buds. Most of the flavors are sort of center palate and back. The tip of the palate, you're not getting a lot, so there's not a lot of like, I usually get... Um, sour kind of things at the tip of my palate or or either like very high sweetness or sour things at the tip. This is all thick sweetness and earthiness and and heaviness. Uh but so balanced, so purposeful. It it is this is a purposed driven whiskey here. I love what it's doing. The question is, as I'm as I'm scanning through some of these other flavor notes to identify a character through a flavor profile, mm. I'm seeing I'm seeing wood smoke and other smoke mentioned in a couple of other places. We've got First murderer, pallid, with a reek of wood smoke and tallow candles. Salt sweat on the brow, lean shanked yet muscular, downtrodden, dismissed and angry. A denizen of the darkest taverns. For a few coins as night falls, a throat will feel its bite. A child will die. Money runs thicker than blood. Wow. Those are tasting notes. Does that notes? seem like sample one? <laughs> no. Does that seem like sample that, one? That does not. No. No. no I, I again. I'm back. I'm. I'm. I'm in the same wheelhouse as you. These. There's witches. There's witches a brune. Um. <sighs> at least with number well, two. With number one. I'm, yeah. I'm. I'm committed. Do you want to be committed with me? Do we want to say which is number two? Which is number two? Yeah. Yeah. Right. W i t c h. Let's commit to the. Yeah. <laughs> Sandwich. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what kind of bread? Would so let me like this? let me read you this then, because there's another place where smoke is mentioned. Now you know I'm locked in on two. I want to try and work out one. Pale-faced, sleeping on straw, the smoke wreathes around, cloaking the body in suspicions of evil. This is the curse of the indentured servant at the beck and call of the master, the spirit pulled in opposite directions as the reek strengthens so the memories of an earlier, riper life diminish. That that. is Satan, S-E-Y-T-O-N, who is... Who is essentially manservant, indentured servant to Macbeth? Hmm. <laughs> I, I might be I might be reading far too much into this, but see this sleeping on straw and you identifying the color of this as straw or white gold. Yeah, 
Yeah, but there's even across the palette, it's really pretty. That that that, f- that floral component just really pops for me. Um, the the smoke is subdued. There's a pretty quality to it, and almost like innocence to it. Are we? Are we? Is is there anything that ties itself to like a a innocence Pollyanna? Um, uh, it's it's not the bloody sergeant. Okay. There's Satan that I just read yeah, to you. Yeah. The first murderer is the one I read to you with a reek of wood smoke and tallow candles. Mm. The first witch is the one we're committing to, number to sample number two. Mm. First ghost is dismissed too easily. The eyes move away, daring to doubt the spirit. Gold glitters on the helm, the voice soft but persistent, the execution firm. Resist disbelief for sweet reward or regret will haunt you. Angus is quietness can be an asset. And I do not think number one is quietness in any way. I'm back to I'm back to Menteeth here. Yeah. Maturity brings forth a relaxed air. Is this mature or relaxed? Mm-mm. No. This is now a life of ermine, the satisfaction of sweet meats and spices, fruits and flowers. My I'm going to a little bit of that flower component, yet for all the damask rose and sandalwood yeah. at the core looks a hint of smoke. Comforts pushed aside and darkness embraced. The muscles flex and new power grows. Who, who, and then who the Lady that? Macduff is a gentleness of manner and vulnerability. Yeah. So it's not it's not Lady Macduff. What was the so one before Lady that Macduff? That gives us that's Menteeth. Menteeth. I'm, I'm thinking this might be Menteeth. Menteeth? Manteeth? Mantooth. M-E-N. It does... Um, I don't know if it fits entirely in this... This maturity brings forth a relaxed air. So do me a I favor. Get, Read yes. to me again the ghost. Yes. Dismissed too easily, the eyes move away, daring to doubt the spirit... Gold glitters on the helm, the voice soft but persistent, the execution firm. Resist disbelief for sweet reward, or regret will haunt you. This is ghost. This is ghost. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's 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 some hints there. You know, when you, you resist disbelief. You smell like, oh, God, am I going to like this? But then you taste it, and then everything makes sense. Everything sort of comes together. So I have one final component okay. for you, right. and then we'll, we'll get to a reveal. Okay. The Ghost series is coming from closed distilleries. So that one has me doubting, which this is a younger, it seems a younger spirit. So. Right. Okay. Because that got us away from Menteeth, which was maturity and relaxed. I don't think it is. Okay, so I appreciate that clarification because I had thought that a future Ghost series was going to focus on closed and not necessarily so, this one. So all with through all three all, acts. All of the yeah, all okay. all of these each of these three acts has series within. So if you didn't want to do the full 
Macbeth series, mm-hmm. you could still do a series within and line up some offerings. So, so, so yeah. yeah. So let me go through this for you, Joshua. So Lady Macduff is out. Menteith seems to be out, although there were some overlaps yeah. there. Angus is out. First Ghost, we think the flavour profile aligns, but if it's a silent, if it's a closed distillery, we might have run into a bit of trouble. Yeah. First Witch, we're attaching to number, number two. two. Yeah. First Murderer. Oh, what's the first murderer oh. again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. first murderer. Pallid, with a reek of wood smoke and tallow candles. Mm. Salt sweat on the brow. Lean shanked yet muscular. Downtrodden, dismissed and angry. A denizen of the darkest taverns. Yeah. For a few coins as night falls, a throat will feel its bite. A child will die. Money runs thicker than blood. It's it's the idea the, of of darkness. There are parts of that, right? It it right. it makes sense until darkness is discussed. Right. Color color aside, the bright floral quality to this makes me feel otherwise. So okay, so that that was who was this again? That was so that was first murderer. First murderer, and who's left? So that leaves us Satan. And Bloody Sergeant. We know it's not Bloody and we, Sergeant. we got rid of Bloody Sergeant, and, right? Okay, and I'm sorry, read Satan one last time. Yep, absolutely. Pale-faced, yep. sleeping on straw, okay. the smoke wreathes around, cloaking the body in suspicions of evil. Mm. This is the curse of the indentured servant at the beck and call of the master, the spirit pulled in opposite directions. As the reek strengthens, so the memories of an earlier, riper life diminish. It, that's it. That's it. What, what was the first thing I said about this? It's equally pickly and floral. And he talked about that those, those two components, those opposing uh, components. Both there. innocent and guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Satan? Satan? Yeah. S-E-Y-T-O-N. So I think I think we've got Satan for number one, and I think we've got the first witch for number two. Okay. Okay. I will I will say to listeners, future samplings will will be shorter than this. We gave this its due course mm. to talk thoroughly. We've got eight full characters that we're talking about here. We have we have indulged quite greatly, but mm. so much fun. Mm. And, and honestly, if if you watch the recent Denzel Washington, it's so much fun piecing the characters to the flavor profiles to what you're watching on screen. It it, it really is a ton of fun. So even if the Quentin Blake illustrations don't work for you in your culture, the Shakespeare, the Macbeth, the characters. The Joel Cohen, for heaven's sakes. Mm, mm-hmm. There is one point at which Macbeth says, fuck it, Satan, let's go bowling. <laughs> um, and so that's, that, that, is, that is clear in that moment. So, okay, are we ready? Let me see, where have I hidden the grand reveal? Um, Ollie went to great pains to save an email as a PDF so that I could save the PDF reveal without opening it. 
So here is the opening of the PDF. <laughs> okay. Here it comes, Joshua. Double clicking. God, what if we're wrong on both? I kind of feel like we're not, but, you know, here we are anyway. Let's see. <laughs> did we win? Did we get? Did we win a prize? That's funny. It, it opened up my mail uh, despite being saved to my desktop, so I couldn't find it to begin with. Okay. And then I went okay. hunting for it. <laughs> so here's the thing. So number two, we were so certain in it the whole way. It is first witch. Oh, it is first witch. Oh God, Jason, you can't lead up. You can't. I guess he can. You but just let me. Did. But let me. Let me tell you what first witch is. Is. Oh, uh, can I? The can first... I make a guess? I feel as if it's. Hey, an, yeah, I, yeah, I, go crazy. I feel as if it's potentially an older lichig, some sort of a subdued lichig. Okay. Okay. The first of four heavily peated single malts chosen to portray the Weird Sisters in Livingston's Macbeth series. As the witches remain unnamed in the original text, bottler Elixir Distillers has chosen to keep the origin of this whiskey mysterious on the label. Uh, However, they have hinted that Pedro Jimenez casks used to mature the first witch were filled at a distillery on Isla's Kildalton coast. All right. This is one of 1,800 bottles. I'm going to need one of them. (laughs) At 51.7%. The product page at the Whiskey Exchange Mm -hmm. titles this Ardbeg 19-year-old. Wow. £550 a bottle. (sighs) You know what? Such such is the whiskey world. Well, you know what? Especially with Ardbeg, that's been the whiskey world for a good long time. Yeah, I guess he can't knock that price. Right. There you go. Right. £550. One of... 1800 and if you want to work on your witch series that is the first one wow excellent yep it's it's unbelievably good and and we have, you and I have had a history of tasting whiskies in a price vacuum and we say is it good <laughs> would we drink <laughs> the shit out of it and I would 100% drink the shit out of that. Will I own a bottle? No, I will not. No. But holy macaroni, yeah. is it Excellent. incredibly drinkable. Yeah. Yeah. I would go so far, as based on our last Extra Extra episode, I would go to so far as to call it a June drinker. <laughs> I got a text from Seabass uh, last week or something, and he's just like, he's, he's in stitches over the idea of $1,800 June drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we living? Okay, so so that is number two in the books. Oh. Number one. Sample number one. Yeah. Satan. Is it? Are you kidding me? We got <laughs> we it. Did, we did our due diligence wow. there. We really <laughs> went round all the doors to get that wow. one. And so... 
And so here again is from the product page at the Whiskey Exchange. Mm -hmm. Macbeth's loyal armorer imagined as a fresh herbaceous single malt from blank. Maturation in casks previously filled with heavily peated Isla whiskey gives an extra layer of smokiness to this characteristically mineral make. Expect pine needles, woody herbs, and a lingering note of chocolate mint. This bottling is one of ten whiskies chosen to portray Macbeth's household. So my question to you, Joshua, oh, I will tell you, this is the largest outturn in number one. This is 3,200 bottles. The question is, what distillery do you think? If you had not mentioned matured in the Laphroaig casks, Mm -hmm. I would have said Loch Lomond and likely their Croft and Gaea or or Inch Mm -hmm. Fad spirit, right? I mean, it's it's that style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know exactly who this is. It's Ardmore. It's got to be Ardmore. Yeah. 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 You want to hazard an age since we were talking about age all the way through our tasting on it? Probably 12, 12 to 13. 12 years old. There you go. And this is £100 at 52.5%. Now that, I think, is an actual June drinker. (laughs) (laughs) Right? An actual one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Those are two Mm. crackers to open on. That's, you know, it's a £100, you know, June drinker. Uh, playing the role of of Satan, S E Y T O N, that which is remarkable. I would I would take chances crossing a busy street in traffic to get to the other side to drink that. That is phenomenal. It's like human really human frogger, and, basically. And, uh, that's exactly what was in my head. Human Frogger. Human Frogger. Uh, for the first witch. I think that encapsulates the character so well. Satan's a tricky one because he is so minor. He is the indentured servant. He does play a secondary role. Mm-hmm. I wonder if one could make the argument that Ardmore plays a secondary role to Lafroy. Ah, that, may- that makes sense. That's very interesting. Hmm. That was that was cracking. Um, I, I will say as as we go uh, into another couple of these, we will we will bring Jess in as well. She is sitting in Glasgow with uh, her own samples, yes, good. and so we we will further this conversation. But that's two down, six to go. Uh, we can also tell the listeners we will not be tasting the King Duncan bottling which was a 56-year-old Glen Grant that will run £10,000 a bottle. So, Yeah, Ollie loves us. Won't. He just doesn't love us that much. Well, Ollie loves us, so Kinder can take <laughs> us or leave us. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> uh, in all in uh, all seriousness, what an absolute treat uh, to be given these samples and to go through them, and and it's back to us having some fun with whiskey. I know, you know, exactly. us doing the blind yeah, yeah. barrels stuff. Speaking of Christopher Sebastian, and speaking of <laughs> yes, did yours come in? Yeah, so so we have there another we set of four blind barrel samples we're going to be doing. So. This is us. People have asked us, do more tasting notes. Get more whiskey flavors going on in your conversation. So so here we are. So huge thanks to Ollie for for thinking of us for this because these are really incredibly special whiskeys that samples shouldn't go to everyone. And the fact that they've come to us feels great. Yep. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The fact that yeah, it's been nice to kind of dust off the uh, the Shakespeare muscle memory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you you go into that that Joel Cohen, uh, Denzel Washington Macbeth, and the first few minutes, it's kind of like, and I remember having the same emotion in school. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. How how long is this? You know, you're you're leafing through the the play, or you're looking at the runtime at the bottom of your screen, and you're thinking, I I don't know about this. And then as you give yourself up to it, wonderful experience. Tons and tons and tons of fun. So so now yeah. that you've caught up on, on training day, mm-hmm. go go forth and, and have a look at that same character. So he plays the exact same character uh, in Macbeth. Take that forward and enjoy. So it's Macbeth, it's not the Manchurian candidate. Just to be certain, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm watching the right Shakespearean you know, experiencing that that correct Shakespearean story. I don't know what I'm going to do with you, Joshua Hatton. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. <laughs> I, I, first, first step is freeze a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, dear listener, uh, if if you want to be like uh, Christopher Sebastian, uh, you can email us questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. No Ian Whiskey, info at singlecastnation.com. You could do that. Hey, if you want to send us samples like like Ollie and, and, and Blind Barrels, we will be happy to, to take them and, and, and go over them online. Now, we reserve the right to be vocal about loving them or vocal about not loving them. Uh, but if you, if you want us to experience some of that on the podcast, we're, we're happy to do that. You can email us and we'll give you an address for that. Um, Jason, am, am I forgetting people to thank other than your good self and the listener? Uh, you know, our, our Anna with our oh, text yeah, Anna. and Anna, Anna with his email. And is it Anna or Anna? Ollie with his... <laughs> this is me ignoring you. <laughs> this is Ollie with his email. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, as you rightly say, the listeners for their, their good company mm-hmm. and their willingness to indulge us in a an end of spring feels like summer catch up bullshit session with our <laughs> our fourth parter uh, that was so much fun so uh, much th- fun. What, what a wonderful podcast this is this is this is why we have the fun that we have and my children who are now on summer break are dragging me out of my recording studio to go and play with them because, you know, I'm not an old man who likes to sit in his chair and read his books. I will <laughs> cheers all and sundry 
with my glasses here, Joshua. Lovely to see your face. Likewise. Lovely to catch up. Lovely to taste some whiskies together. And let's not ignore the fact that we got the first two blind samples correct from a lineup that we were able to limit based on smoky profiles. Absolutely freaking amazing. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.